Hi, welcome back to anybody who's been here before. If this is your first time tuning into the podcast, my name is Monica Bayan, and I'm a five wing four self-preservation subtype in the Enneagram of personality. And in this podcast, I share about my experience learning about the Enneagram as it applies to my life, growing from that frame, and also just by the act of podcasting, stepping out of my self-limitations that correspond to the five frames. So keeping myself small, avoiding vulnerability. Um, So it's both a meta project where the, the podcast itself is me growing out of my five corner and um, within most episodes, I'd say at this point, I also reflect on how my fiveness plays out in my life and how I'm working to recognize that, embrace it, and grow from that place and become more integrated. If you want to know more about the project and why I'm doing it and what this means, go back to the first episode called Welcome. Otherwise, um, here we go. So I have been reflecting on my relationship to dependence and independence and specifically avoiding dependence or reliance on any thing or person. And I'm just scratching the surface. I mean, there's so many ways that this has become salient to me over the last few months. And this is a theme that I reflect on regularly or I guess that comes in and out of my life, I should say. But over the last few months, probably since starting the podcast, it's a frame that has been really highlighted in my self-awareness and my self-assessment. So I'm going to share a few examples that have become clear to me about ways or examples of ways that I avoid dependence and um, might want to tweak that a little bit. And then kind of reflect on some of the themes that come up through those examples and um, the importance or the excitement of resourcefulness and independence that is strongly related for me to being a five. And then kind of my, what I see as the growth path out of that and Then at the end, I'll give a little bit of a personal update that's related, a personal professional update that's related but separate, and I think that'll be it. Then I'll wrap up the episode. So examples of how I avoid being reliant or dependent on things, people. The first one is with my vision. I don't have perfect vision. I don't have awful vision, but I have needed some kind of help with glasses or, or contacts since I was eight. That's the first time I was tested and got glasses. And they do make a big difference for me, even though my vision is pretty good overall. I also can do pretty well without them. And because both glasses and contacts present an inconvenience, an added thing to carry around, to take care of, to think about, to integrate into my day, I have spent a lot of my life trying to minimize how much I need them or you know, only using them when they're really necessary. But then when I became a therapist and was 
Oh yeah. Disclaimer. This is not a therapy podcast. I'm not delivering therapy. Anything I say or share or even recommendations I make are not supposed to substitute your work with a therapist. They're not professional. It's not professional advice. Okay. So when I became a therapist and started working with people in these small rooms, sitting close, um, sitting near to other people and focusing on somebody who's, you know, about five to 10 feet away, 10 feet feels far. Um, let's say about five feet away. Um, my vision got worse because I was doing that so much of the time. And when I wasn't doing that, I was at my computer writing notes about it or, um, studying, you know, when I was in grad school to become a therapist. So my eyes were, um, I forget the term for it, but it happens to prisoners too, because they spend so much time in a cell that their eyes don't get the opportunity to um, have that diversity of range to look into the distance as often as is healthy for eyes. So it's often the case that prisoners' eyesight gets significantly worse, um, or it gets worse the more time they spend in a cell. So I was in the therapy cell. My eyes were getting worse because I didn't have as many opportunities to look into the distance. I am, I'm a walker, so on my breaks, whenever I had the opportunity, I would go out and walk and let my eyes look into the distance. But it just wasn't enough to save the descent, to prevent the descent of my, my eyesight. And then becoming a mother, having a baby and a toddler, I, my eyes, again, are um, often looking to my immediate environment or to her, and she's usually or often, I should say, within five feet, within two feet of me. So my my eyesight is kept fairly close a lot of the time. And again, my eye, I don't know if it's gotten worse since starting therapy, but I did notice a, a precipitous decline when I, I think I'm using that right, it sounds right, um, when I started working as a therapist and the more clients I had back to back, the worse my eyes got. And I have been working to still avoid or minimize my dependence on glasses and contacts. Contacts have traditionally been really bad for me because I have astigmatism. And the technology has gotten much better over my lifetime. But because I had a bad experience with them, I don't know, let's say 10, 15 years ago, I kind of wrote that off as a possibility until very recently when um, I learned that they're not as bad as they used to be. But I would avoid my reliance on my glasses. And recently, I've just noticed how much that handicaps me and how much that limits me in terms of being able to move freely through the world, especially the social world, and to understand and perceive the visual information around me. So where I notice it most is when I'm interacting with people who are outside of the five-foot range, you know, the farther they get, the harder it is for me to read their, um, their bodies and their facial cues. And that is definitely a limitation. If it's somebody I know, I may not know, I know them until they are very close. So they may think that they are communicating to me or that I recognize them from a distance when I don't recognize them until they're, they're pretty close. And so they might be smiling at me and I'm not smiling back. Um, I mean, I tend to smile at everybody, but it's a different smile when you know somebody. And I also don't perceive facial expressions or subtle cues until somebody's really close, which can present issues, whether it's somebody I know or not. 
So that's where I notice it the most. And noticing that, I've decided that I want to change that. That brings up deciding that I want to change it is helpful, that I, I want to have better vision more of the time. And that means using glasses or contacts because my life just doesn't allow me to, even if it would work to intentionally let my eyes look in the distance more and do these um, practical exercises to increase my, to improve my eyesight, my, my lifestyle right now, my life circumstances don't allow me to do that fast enough to meet the goal of mine to have better vision more of the time. So to have better vision more of the time, I need to rely on my on glasses or contacts. Deciding that, though, it brings up all of these um, additional gates of uh, concern, of like obstacles that I have to wade through to embrace that. So how do I work in glasses care? Also, my gla- I don't like my glasses right now. So when I wear them, I don't feel like myself. I don't like how I look. Um, and that's significant to me. And that could be my four wing. I don't know. Um, but that is significant. So does that mean I'm letting that go and trying to shut off that concern and embrace that I have eyeglasses that, don't, that I don't like? Um, or... Do I, do I decide that I need glasses and have to buy new glasses? And then how do I find some that I can afford when I, yeah, that's another issue. And, and the process of finding some prioritizing finding glasses means finding glasses that I can afford and that feel like me. And that traditionally has been a really hard task to accomplish. Or do I go the contact route and and set myself up for the regular expense of buying contacts and the daily rituals of um, putting in contacts and taking them out, integrating those into my life as a caregiver for my very active toddler daughter. Um, yeah, so I have to decide which one makes more sense or some combination of the two, and that and then whichever one it is, it will take money and time. So the decision brings brings up more decisions and more points of dealing with this relationship to dependence and independence. The second example is haircuts. I'm not going to go into as much detail with this one, but I avoid haircuts. I even when my hair is past the length that I want it to be, past the length that I feel like looks good on me, that I feel good with, or when my hair, the ends of my hair look unhealthy and I don't feel good about that. Or it's just so long that it is getting in my way or the style just doesn't feel like me. All of these things, I push my need for haircuts out to avoid the expense and also to avoid the experience, to avoid the possibility of getting a bad haircut. I've moved so many times in my life and had so many bad haircuts in my life that I have this fear of finding a new hairdresser. Um, The most recent haircut I got, I didn't like it. It didn't, and I didn't have the time or the willingness to go back and say, hey, could you correct this? And I also didn't have the faith in the person who cut my hair to correct it. So now I'm faced with wanting another haircut. I don't want to say need, but I want another haircut. And I'm 
I'm again confronting these issues of um, expense and also the work of finding somebody who I um, who does work that I like, and I don't have much faith in that. Bad haircut can cut deep, you know, and when you have when you have a bunch of them, it can be a significant barrier to going out and finding somebody new. I don't even have particularly hard hair. My hair is really, really straight no matter what I do. And um anyway, haircuts. So I want to change that. I want I want the to feel free to get a haircut whenever I want it and to have faith in the person I'm getting a haircut from that they can do that. Number three, healthcare providers. I've had this chronic pain body. I've had chronic pain in different forms throughout my life, but I've had this particular chronic pain system, this chronic tension system in one form or another since 2009. It got significantly better when I was pregnant. It gets better the less small hand work that I have to do, the less handwriting, the less computer time, the less phone time. But I really like writing. I really like handwriting. And my, our life as it is, my life as it is, requires me to use a phone and a computer when I can for a lot of tasks. So I'd love to get past this pain, to learn what I'm doing that makes it worse, what I can do to make it better, and what it is to have somebody describe it to me. And I, I want to have a provider. I, I'm not an expert in these things and I don't, I've tried to do research that helps, but really I am such a, such a novice at knowing, learning about my body. I can investigate it from the inside and track my pain, but it's not enough to get me out of it. I really, really need help from a professional who can see my body clearly and help me out of it. But when I'm desperate enough to go to somebody else, either they're too expensive for me to continue a course of treatment with them, or they it ends up not helping when I decide, okay, I, I will pay for this because this is something that I really need. Um, it ends up not helping, or they don't they don't get it. So I come back to this place of like, okay, I can do it on my own, or I will do that when I have enough money. So again, expense comes up. Um, but at some point I would really, really like to be, I I know there's a path out of this. It's not the kind of pain that I, that I have to be stuck with. I know without a doubt that there is a path to less pain, less tension. And I need somebody else's help to get there. So one day I want to do that. The last example that I'll mention really quickly is dentists. Um, I put off going to the dentist because of the expense and I want to be able to go to a dentist as often as is recommended or as often as I feel like I need to. Um, so that's a goal too. Um, and in lieu of that, because I recently have not gone to a dentist as much as is recommended or as much as I'd like to for a variety of reasons, um, I take pretty good care of my teeth. And um, that's the main motivator is if I don't take good care of my teeth, I'm going to have to go to a dentist and it is going to be more expensive than just a cleaning. So I better every day I take good care of my teeth because of that, because it means it's these small things that help me to avoid um, depending on a dentist for my oral well-being. 
So there's this common theme in these examples or common themes that I'm sure you've heard. Um, Money is a big one. Expense is a big one. But there are also these, in a way, um, my creativity gets activated when I have restrictions or constraints or limitations. And I know I'm not and I'm noticing, I think I say this a lot, I know I'm not alone in this. You know, like having a writing prompt brings out my creativity in that subject and just I can pull in so much and getting inspired with the right prompt. But without a prompt with just wide openness, like write something, it can be really difficult for me to feel inspired. I can, it just takes longer. It's like I need a way in. Um, we need the, I need the constraints to, to be creative to an extent. So... Money as a theme has been true throughout my life. Um, Limitations on money, um, limiting my dependence. So like with glasses and contacts and haircuts and healthcare providers and dentists, they all cost money. I have never been in a financial position where I felt like I could... um, that any of those things that I just listed were free of the constraint of money. It has always been a concern. So I have as a goal financial independence and not just financial independence, but getting to a place of financial security where I can comfortably afford whatever I care I want whatever, however many haircuts I want, whatever kind of healthcare for my chronic pain I want, and the expense of finding the right providers, the time that it takes to find the right providers is a different thing, but the expense, I want to make enough that I can see a dentist every six months, that I'm not afraid that I, that I won't be able to pay for a serious procedure, that I take care of my teeth to take care of my teeth and not just to avoid the expense of going to a dentist. Although any motivation is good in that area, I guess. And I knew that I wanted to hit that goal, that I wanted to be in that financial place before I started a family because that, I mean, to me, that's a lower rung. And then the expense of starting a family and being able to feel comfortable paying for those things and more, you know, the basic needs and occasional indulgences for somebody else, for a child or children, I that's, you know, a, a higher bar. So I knew that I wanted to hit that first bar before I decided to start a family. But then as life worked out, I got pregnant before I wanted to, before I had planned to. Um, and... It's brought this urgency where I think that's part of why I'm seeing these areas so clearly. It's not these examples. It's not just about dependence and independence. It's about responsibility and freedom. Um, because while my creativity is activated within limits and I'm comfortable in, a, in taking care of myself, there is definitely some comfort in that. I'm identifying the limits to that and that keeping myself small, keeping my money so limited in a lot of ways, I, 
you know, sometimes it doesn't feel optional, but I know in the bigger sense, it is a choice that I am making to stay this level of poor, this level of dependent, this level of constrained when it comes to money. So I'm limiting myself from so much by creating the the psychic baggage, the the limitations, the workarounds that I have, the creative the creative workarounds that I have to do to avoid these limitations or that that not being able to easily afford these things presents. Um, it's its own drag. It's its own expense, even if it's not money. And sometimes it does result in financial expenses, like the example of a dentist. If I'm not seeing a dentist regularly, then I could be creating a situation where when I do end up going to a dentist, it's for an emergency and then I'm paying a lot more than I would have to just go for a cleaning every six months. And now I'm responsible for a child. So I'm reaching for that second bar and I haven't even hit that first bar. So I've got, I'm seeing clearly some of the issues. I'm seeing the limitations. I'm getting more motivated and moving more quickly to those bars. There's also this factor that comes in for me, which is about, so if, if limits can be exciting, and I, I wanted to tell you about like the particular limits of my life right now and how little time I have to myself to do things like record a podcast or build a business like I'm working on. Um, I wanted to describe that to you and how the what these limits look like and how they shift and how there's there, but I don't want to get into those details because I'm realizing that I'm going on longer than I expected. So what I will say right now is that I have a lot of limitations on my time by being a full-time caregiver to my toddler and certain limitations of our my approach to parenting and and our circumstances right now. Um, but in a way, these current limitations suit me, I found, because it gets me um, with very little of a resource like time or money. It gets me to think, okay, how can I shift my world internally to make things work externally with the or with with these limitations? And there's something that I find exciting and motivating. And inspiring in that. It's like a puzzle. Oh, okay. It's, I love puzzles, right? It's this puzzle that I get to solve, that I have to solve to be okay. So I'm trying to reach for the stars in terms of money. And that, how can I, like, there's this excitement that I get by thinking I can do that with an hour a day and that's, that's not even true every day, but let's say an hour a day of time to myself. I can build a business that sustains myself and my daughter comfortably in an hour a day. And saying that out loud, it's like, I don't think that's actually true, but I would like to build a business that allows me to take care of her most of the time, to be her primary caregiver. <sighs> So limits are exciting and there's something safe about it too, because again, re- okay, so relying on other people, relying on other things makes us vulnerable, right? So if I pay for contacts every month and then I something happens financially and I can't afford that and I'm reliant on those contacts to see clearly and I've adapted to seeing clearly, um, I don't want to be in that position where all of a sudden I can't afford the contacts, 
or if I'm reliant on my glasses and they break that, you know, and I know saying this out loud that I can deal with these things. But again, like there's this, this, it's an instinct. It's an impulse that most of the time is subconscious for me to avoid any reliance. So there's something that keeps me safe there. And this excitement about, you know, solving this puzzle with limited resources, being resourceful. But I'm, I know that I have to be discerning about when this is a good thing, when creativity within limits is a good thing, when I can deal with the limits that I have and make do, and when, when accepting limits is actually really a bad thing or when doing it over and over and over again results in a pretty dysfunctional situation over the long term. So discerning when it's helpful and when I actually have to take steps externally to um, pay for help or pay for a service or ask for help and risk being rejected or risk it not being the help that I wanted. So discerning, I think part of the way that's helpful for me to do that is to say it out loud, like to you, to say that I'm trying to do this with an hour a day of time to myself. That doesn't make sense. So this is not a situation where I'm just going to make an internal tweak, a mindset shift and make things work, accomplish that goal of making enough money to support myself and my daughter. So I have to take steps to change the external limits to get help with childcare, which I'm working on, consistent help with childcare. And, uh, you know, as an example... I so saying things out loud, talking through them with myself or with someone else, um, someone I trust ideally, but sometimes just hearing ourselves talk, even if it's not about the response or the receptivity in the other person, can be really helpful. Getting the words out of our head. So sometimes writing for me is really helpful. Um, Sometimes making something visual, drawing or painting or sculpting. Um, making a visual representation of something I'm working on internally can help me see it more clearly. Or meditating, appealing to my inner resources, my inner cheerleaders, my inner support people, um, my spiritual, my spirit guides, my, yeah, my spirit guides, I guess might be the best way to say them, Um, to somehow map out this puzzle that I'm working on. You know, so for you too, if you find yourself in these situations where you are accepting limits that you that are actually making things worse for you and that are changeable if you really look at it, learning to discern when it's good to work within limits, when that that creativity is positive, and when that feeling of safety or excitement is actually keeping you uh, like it's actually a form of avoidance of avoidance of what you really need to do to let your energy flow to to be to thrive to to create a life that is sustainable and joyful and generous for you think about talking writing painting meditating mapping just doing something to get this puzzle out of your mind to see it more clearly and the more we do that the more we can see these specifics clearly the more our system will learn to identify and discern automatically. You know, like any skill, you have to put a lot of energy and intention into practicing it initially. And 
and we practice with specific examples. But the more we do that and the more we set the the kind of meta, the overarching intention to recognize, to discern in this way when limits are serving us versus when limits are are not, um, then the more that will become automatic. It takes a lot of work, but it's worth it. <sighs> yeah. So, and this is all, I'm realizing like these examples that I gave as gnarled as they can feel, as complex as they can feel wading into them, this is a relatively easy layer of looking at this dynamic between dependence and independence. Uh, the harder layer that's lurking kind of right behind this one, I think, or one of the harder layers is relationships, personal relationships. My How I relate to dependence and independence in relationships and how my fierce clinging to independence at times really works against me in building meaningful connections in in fostering intimacy and my fear of dependence can do the same thing and how some level of of dependence is necessary for healthy relationships so that thinking of it in relationships and also just looking at these examples that I've already brought up um, two things come to mind. Moderation. So yes, independence is good to an extent. Yes, dependence is good to an extent. And both also have their downsides because it's all about how and when you're engaging in them. So the, then the second thing that comes up is this third option, which is the growth path out of this dynamic of ping-ponging between dependence and independence, which is interdependence. So that for me, the way I'm seeing it today is combining the gifts of dependence and the gifts of independence and being fluid with that, of seeing how, um, of moving between this or on the spectrum between these poles of dependence and independence in all of these different dynamics, um, in these practical self-care examples in our in my close relationships and my professional relationships. So some of the gifts of dependence that I see coming up are um, trust in others. So to be dependent on others, you have to trust that they will meet your needs to an extent. Receptivity, being open to others, because to be dependent on them, you have to see how they can help you and the gifts that they have, the strengths that other people have. Um, and I'm, oh, I just had this like self-conscious ping in my mind where I like winced because I'm thinking maybe I'm not saying this in a good way, um, but I'm going to keep going anyway. Um, so you're also recognized, you're more likely if you're dependent on others or reliable on things and people, you are recognizing similar to the receptivity or open to their help. You're open to what they have to contribute for you. Um, and you're more likely to recognize their gifts, their strengths, what they have to offer. So those are some of the gifts of dependence that I want to bring into a sense of interdependence that I think are really healthy and that I'm working on, that I want to work on more, especially trust in others. And the gifts of some of the gifts of independence that I see are trust in self, which is so, so, so important. 
and creativity. If I'm not relying on anything else, I have to get really creative to work with just the resources that I have internally or at my immediate disposal, which is an interesting phrase. Okay. Um, and then another, a couple other gifts of independence are strength, you know, personal strength and confidence. I guess that goes back to trust in self. And I've said it already, but resourcefulness. So if the fear tells me that being dependent is weak and awareness tells me that, that being too independent keeps my life small, I'm working with too many limits for my energy to flow, for my life to be generous, then interdependence interdependence, I should say, um, that allows me to be strong and expansive and generous and available to what life brings me, available to other people, available to connections, available to growth. So if I use all of those gifts and if I foster those qualities, then I'm moving toward this third option, this ideal of interdependence. Okay, so now... I want to step back from that and give what I hope will be a somewhat brief update on my professional movement, my professional life, which is building a business that is founded on the skills and experience that I've built as a therapist, but is different. Wanting to be the primary caregiver for my toddler, my toddler, my toddler, she does dawdle, but she's more of a toddler. Um, <laughs> sorry. Oh, bad language jokes. Um, so wanting to be that primary care- caregiver means um, wanting to build a business that allows me to do that. And being a therapist um, doesn't feel right for me for that and for other reasons I've been pulled into um, something that can be called coaching, but I'm not quite comfortable with that word. Um, but building building a helping business in another way. So that's what I've been working on. And I have been working on, um, specifically, I want to help other people to get out of their, their eddies of self-limitation. I want to help other people who are maybe just a little behind me on their path or you know, that doesn't feel like quite the right frame either because that's too linear. But I want to help other people with what I have learned from my work as a therapist and from my own self-work, from my the growth that I have, what I've implemented in my own life that has worked. So to combine these two things to help other people with similar issues, to get out of their own way, to live bigger lives. And I've struggled a lot with this piece of defining a niche, who I help, with what, and how. And I was kind of circling, one of the niches that I was circling around was parents or solo parents. And that generates some ideas, but it just, it wasn't quite clicking for me. It wasn't giving me sustained inspiration. And Part of that is this cringiness that I personally feel with parents speak online, with mom speak. Um, it doesn't land well for me and it doesn't feel good coming out of my mouth or you know my hands when I'm writing. So I was getting a lot of feedback or noticing a lot of feedback that 
this wasn't quite the right frame for me to work for solo parents. Although I do, I want to help solo parents with what I've learned with the limitations imposed by being a solo parent and the motivations. And it's just a really exciting puzzle for me. But I realized that it is not the puzzle that I want to work with. It's a personal puzzle that excites me and maybe some work will come out later um, or it'll come into my professional life later. Or maybe maybe it's just peripheral and um, it'll develop into a distinct project. I don't know. I know it's an exciting puzzle and it's not the central one for my work right now. And at the same time as I was realizing that, I was also realizing that this Enneagram frame, the five wing four frame has helped me so much. The self-preservation frame, just the gifts of the Enneagram as a perceptual frame for self-awareness and self-growth has helped me so much um, whenever I focus on it. But mostly this past year when I've decided to start this podcast and this project it has highlighted so many areas where I'm limiting and so many areas where I can grow. It's allowed me to see these more clearly and to move beyond my self-limitations more quickly. And that's really exciting for me. So it's exciting. Like I'm, I'm applying it practically every day and I'm growing in awareness every day and growing. I'm, I'm expanding as a person every day because because not linearly, some days feel like regression, some days feel like I'm propelled forward. But overall, I'm doing so much growth with the help of this frame. And it's energizing me, it's inspiring me, it's motivating me. And I so this to me feels like it might be more central to who I'm helping and how and with what. So I've decided to trust that, to surrender to that, to embrace that. And now what I'm working on is orienting my message, orienting my um, call to others, my offering to help fives, five wing fours, self-preservation people, um, self-preservers. Um, but most, I think the, the broadest frame is the five, maybe, or maybe it's the withdrawn triangle, the fives, fours, and nines. I'm not sure, but I know that the Enneagram is going to be a central part of it. I also know for sure that I want to work with people who are not familiar with the Enneagram, that I don't want that to be a prerequisite familiarity with the Enneagram. Because for me, it took so long to really, really feel comfortable with it. And I'm only comfortable like really, really comfortable with it for myself and in my little eddy. I have no desire to teach or coach from the whole Enneagram because I haven't done the deep work. I've done deep work in the five and four areas, in the self-preservation areas, and deep work from my perspective. So I don't want to require somebody else to have done this deep work to self-identify to be able to work with me. I want to work with people as they are, so I'm working to identify the qualities of these dynamics that the Enneagram frames so clearly at times um, and in such detail at, in other ways. Um, but I want to identify what the salient qualities are for me from this that people will recognize in themselves that I can call to without them knowing the Enneagram. So it's a shorthand to say, are you an Enneagram five wing four? Then work with me. 
Um, let's identify your self-limitations. Let's get you living that big life. Let's work on your ability to discern when it's helpful and when it's not. All of these things, if you are a five wing four, or if you are a self-pres five, um, or if you are four wing five, maybe um, you might be drawn to work with me. But how do I connect to the people who don't know the Enneagram, who have those qualities? What are the qualities that are most salient to me or that I am most uh, qualified, most skilled at working with and others that will allow them to find me and me to find them so that we can do really meaningful work together. That's what I'm working on. So I'm making some tweaks to my program, my language. I've, I had started working for, um, with solo parents in one-to-one coaching and I got some really valuable feedback from that process and now I'm making tweaks with this new frame and hopefully we'll have an update to share soon about um, the kind of the next evolution of my business. And eventually, hopefully soon, I will be able to offer that business um, to you if you're interested in working with me. The last thing I want to mention is a movie that I saw this week that was so beautiful and inspiring and helpful in its framing um, of mental health, mental awareness, self-awareness, self-growth, that I want to share it with you. Um, It's called Stuts, and it's by Jonah Hill. I watched it on Netflix. I don't know if it'll be there forever. Um, I think maybe it was... Anyway, I watched it on Netflix. You can find it there. S-T-U-T-Z. I can't recommend it highly enough. I hope if you watch it, it is helpful for you too. It's got some really powerful ideas and powerful, um, it's powerful. I'm going to leave it there. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I hope this day finds you doing well. If not, I hope after this, I just got lost in the weeds of a goodbye of a sign off. (laughs) You mean a lot to me. I hope this is helpful. I look forward to talking to you again next week. And I'm getting closer to being in a regular weekly pattern with recording and releasing these. Um, But I'm not ready yet to set a day of the week when I am going to release them consistently. So that will come soon. But I am still going strong with the goal of recording and releasing one a week. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Take care of others. Oh, sorry. I'm having such a hard time signing off today. I'm really getting self-conscious and self-critical. So I'm just going to say goodbye for now and thank you one more time. One last thing. The music in this episode is from the song Five by Sleeping At Last. I use it with the generous permission of Sleeping At Last. If you want to know more about the song and hear it in its entirety, go check out the Sleeping at Last podcast, episode number 13, called Five and the Enneagram. This episode was produced by me, and I appreciate you bearing with me as my skills develop. 
In the meantime, you get to hear a human being human, unedited, or minimally edited. You're welcome. More soon, Monica. <laughs>